0: Hey there, and welcome to the United Church Podcast. We are a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love. We are striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you enjoy this week's homily. So, Christmas is coming. I don't know if you've noticed yet or not, all the decorations that surround us, the the garland and the wreaths and the things and the trees, everywhere, Christmas is coming. Plane tickets are already being purchased as people prepare to zoom out for the weekend or for the week or for what is coming as they spend time with family. How many of you have already bought your plane tickets? A few of you. How many of you are not traveling in this auspiciously wonderful occasion? Oh, the stay, the stay. Plans are being made, presents are being purchased and delivered through Amazon.com. And just so you know, they still deliver on like Christmas Eve, right Andy? So, it's coming. You still have plenty of time, but Christmas presents are being purchased. Music is playing all over the place. There are <laughs> treats are being eaten. Santa has arrived not only at the market but at the mall, and it's only a 2-hour wait at Nordstrom at the moment, just in case you were wanting to snap that ever-famous picture with the Nordstrom Santa Claus. It's only 2 hours. How many of you have ever walked by that line? Have you ever noticed the Santa Claus line down at Nordstrom? There is a digital clock in the window that lets you know what your wait time is. It was up to six hours at one point last year when I walked by. Six hours for you to wrangle your child if you're there to be with your child. Wrangle your child for 15 seconds on his lap and a photo of your child being terrified. How many of you have seen the pictures of the terrified children? Yeah, a few of you? They're amazing. Just go on Instagram and like search terrified children for Santa or I'm sure there's a hashtag frightened child of Santa, right? Like all of those things, like search it, enjoy it, laugh immensely because They're funny, and it's really, really great. But Christmas is coming, and there's not much time left because now you've already started to put up your trees. You're starting to feel the Christmas spirit. How many of you have put up your Christmas trees? How many of you are like, Christmas tree? What's the point? We're not going to be here for Christmas. No, you just haven't done it yet? Wow, late people. My goodness. There's only 23 days left to have that tree up before, you know, you want to ditch it. Anyhow, today marks the very first day of Advent. Our very first day of Advent. The season of expectation. The season of waiting. The season of anticipating what is to come. The birth of Jesus. This is actually the very beginning of the church calendar. I don't know if you know that or not, but the church calendar actually begins on the very first day of Advent. This is our New Year celebration, so to speak, as a church, because newness is coming in. New life is about to be birthed, and a new possibility, a new realm of existence is here, this season of anticipation brings and gives light, it gives and brings hope, it gives and brings us an opportunity to look forward to this birth of Christ, the light of the world, the one who came to give us hope. But what is hope? Have you ever wondered truly what the depths and the true nature of hope is? Because we use it a lot in our normal everyday language. I hope I get a new job I hope I, I I hope that the rain stops I hope that the wind won't pick up and knock down the tree branches on my car parked on the street I hope I hope I hope I hope we use this phrase I hope an awful lot but we Do we truly know what the depths of that is? Because I think sometimes we think that hope is nothing more than optimism. It's a bright, shiny outlook for what is to come. It's hope is the opposite of pessimism. It's the opposite of darkness and deepness and like terrible thoughts and feelings that are just gonna hit us at any point in time. It's just being optimistic. Hope is is glass half full sorts of things. But what truly is hope? Hope occurs in three different forms, in the, or three different words are used in the Bible for hope, but there's one that I think captures it perhaps better than anything else, not only in this Advent season, but for us as a people to begin to think really deeply and, and hopefully about what hope truly is. It's this word, it's kavah. And there are two times that the word hope show up in the Hebrew, and this one, it Kavah is a fun one. Just say it with me because it's fun to say. Kavah. Oh, come on. You can do better than that. Kavah. It's fun to say. Hebrew is a really fun language because it's got some really interesting guttural sounds that come along with it. But it's always this, this like outburst types of words like kavah, right? It's like hooray, here I am. It's, it's bold and it's bright and it's noisy and it's loud and it's beautiful. But Kavah has within it this understanding of this sort of tense expectation. This word hope in the Hebrew has is kind of like taking a rope or a rubber band and stretching, and stretching it and stretching it and stretching it and stretching it, creating all sorts of tension. It's this idea that you are waiting and hoping. You're waiting in this tense expectation as it goes further and further and further until it snaps until the cord breaks, until all of a sudden, hope springs, or until reality springs forth through the midst of that breaking of the tension. It's this idea of tension. And we, you and I, sit in the midst of this tension, in the midst of tense expectation, in the midst of this hope. We live in, a, in this tension of the already, but not Yet. We live in this space where Jesus has already been born, where Jesus has already been murdered, where he has been crucified, and where he has risen from the dead, and where he has ascended into heaven. We live underneath the, the, the umbrella of this reality. But yet we also live in this space of the not yet, where Christ has yet to return, where Christ is not quite here yet, to restore the world back to the way that it was always meant to be. The space of wholeness, the space of peace, the space of togetherness, the space of unity. We live in the already, but not yet. There is a tension for us as well as we sit heavy in this waiting in this anticipation that Christ will return once again and that you and I will get to live in the wholeness of what he promised us back in the day. We live in the already, but not yet. Yet we still wait. Frederick Buechner, I think, summed this up really well in his book, The Longing for Home. He said the world floods in all of us, in on all of us. The world can be kind and it can be cruel. It can be beautiful and it can be appalling. It can give us good reason to hope and good reason to give up all hope. It can strengthen our faith in a loving God and it can decimate our faith. In our lives and the world, the temptation is always to go where the world takes us, to drift with whatever current happens to be running strongest. When good things happen, we rise to heaven. When bad things happen, we descend to hell. When the world strikes out at us, we strike back. And when one way or another the world blesses us, our spirits soar. Do you hear the tension? Do you hear the pulling, the tension of expectation The tension of anticipation, that we live in this space, we live in this world of where bad things happen and good things happen, where bad things break forth and good things flood in on us. We live in this tension of the already, but not yet. This is our story. This is our tension. This is our hope. But we're not the first ones to experience this. In fact, this is the story of Jesus at his birth in Matthew chapter 2, which is a fascinating story. It's it's perhaps one of the more obscure stories about his birth, the one that kind of gets pushed to the side a little bit. And we don't necessarily wrestle with it very much. And when we do, it's usually on the last Sunday of the year, the Sunday that no one is ever around (laughs) True. This is just how it works. But in Matthew chapter 2, we have this story of the visit of the magi, the story of the visit of the wise men. The three wise men is typically how the song, the, the, the Christmas carol goes, that there were these three wise men. And we have no idea if it was three, if it was five, if it was ten, if it was twenty. We have no idea how many there were. We just say three because they brought three gifts. And it's just easier to remember that way. They brought gold and frankincense and myrrh, and they brought three gifts. It could have been two wise men. It could have been seven. We don't know how many it was. But these wise men traveled from the east. They traveled from perhaps India, as far away as India, coming into Israel to visit this new king because it had been foretold to them through dreams that this king of the Jews was about to be born. And they wanted to meet this king. So they followed a star, star of wonder, star of light, Star with royal beauty bright. Westward leading, still proceeding. Guide them to that perfect light. Yeah, Christmas carols. It's okay. It's an obscure one. Because this, too, is an obscure story. Now, here's what happens. They come and they go directly to King Herod. They make their way to King Herod because where else would you go if you were going to go meet the new king of the Jews? But to the king of the Jews... King Herod loved that moniker. He loved that title. He, underneath the guise and underneath the Roman Empire, underneath their oppression, underneath their subordination, but yet still given power, ruled and reigned over Israel. And so, of course, if there's a new king to be born, of course it would be King Herod's. So these wise men venture all the way, thousands of miles, taking perhaps one to two years to get there, to meet this baby. And they get to King Herod, and Herod is perplexed and disturbed. I ain't got no baby In fact, Herod is pretty old at this point in his life. And he's like, I don't have a baby. What are you doing? But instead of being like, oh, it's not my child, he creates this new narrative of like, I would love to meet this child. I would love to to have him in my home and to welcome him and to be so excited with what is taking place here. All the while in the back of his mind, he feels threatened. There's a new king of the Jews that these men have come to see. He's going to take my throne. He's going to take my power. He is going to usurp me, a baby. He's terrified of a baby. And so he tells the magi, he tells the wise man, go find this child. And then report back to me where he is so that I may too go and worship him so that I too may go see this king of the Jews. And so the wise men make their way out. They continue to follow the star until they find the baby Jesus. Perhaps he was one, perhaps he was two. The seven pound, six ounce, golden fleece diaper baby Jesus. Ricky Bobby, come on where you're at. It's all right. It's all right. He goes, they, they go and they make their way to worship this new king of the Jews. And while they're there, they receive this dream. They receive this vision that they're not to return to Herod because Herod was going to do something evil. He was going to do something terrible to this baby, to this child. And so they return back to the east by another route, another way they completely surpass Herod. Now when Herod finds this out, he's not so happy. He's pretty upset. He's pretty ticked that he has been fooled by the wise men. Get that pun, that play on words? He's fooled by the wise men. Yes, mm, that's how it works. But However, so so this is what he does. He finds himself thrown into a rage that these men have fooled him, that have made him look like a fool and he we have no idea how long it was before he realized before he realized that that they had, you know, tricked him, that they had left in a different way. No idea how long of a time period this passes, which is what's so both fascinating and frustrating about scripture is that Scripture just tells the story, but doesn't give us the timeline very well sometimes. You're like, wait, 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 I want the timeline. I want to know how long the story is, how how many months have elapsed, how many years have passed by, so that we can see the fullness of the weight of what is taking place here. It's really hard to ascertain these things sometimes. However, here in the midst of this, Herod goes into a rage, a rage. And he says this, he says, Go, he sends out all sorts of his army, his troops, his royal guard. He says, go out into this town of Bethlehem and kill every child that is two years or younger. Through all of the story, Herod has kind of figured out that, that this Jesus could be as old as two years at the moment. Go out and kill them all kill them all, take them all out. It's called the Massacre of the Innocents. Massacre of the Innocents, where every single boy aged two years and under were slaughtered in one fell swoop. This painting by, um, is from 1824 by Leon Cognier, a French painter. And it's a terrifying picture. As you see all of these men and women fleeing, fleeing with children wrapped in their arms, fleeing to get away from these soldiers and these guards who have come to kill their children. In fact, you can see one body laying on the steps at the top. A child, a two-year-old child, and the mother hunkered down, hunkered down with her child with such a look of fear, such a look of terror on her face. It's such a heartbreaking painting, and yet so realistic. It's a terrifying painting, and yet so true, not only of what has happened, but What continues to happen in our world today, as men and women flee with their children, crossing border after border after border to find hope for a new life, fleeing from violence and persecution and hatred. Fleeing because they're the wrong religion, or fleeing because they have the wrong political affiliation, or just fleeing because there are gangs who are stealing children and putting them in a life of crime. Wanting nothing better for their children, they flee, and they run, and they hide, seeking a new life. In the midst of this, right before this happens, Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, Joseph receives a vision, a dream. Herod is coming to kill the children. Flee and run to Egypt. Cross over the borders, cross over the sea and get to this new place of safety and stay there. Stay there until, until I tell you it's okay to come back. Stay there until it's safe to return. And so Mary and Joseph grab Jesus. They grab what they can. They load it all up on a donkey and they begin the journey out of Bethlehem, out of Israel. They cross the border and there they stay in Egypt for perhaps up to seven years. Seven years living in Egypt as refugees, as those seeking asylum. Hanging out there, living there, learning new cultures and new customs, and yet staying safe from the king of the Jews who has sought to kill Jesus. Here they are. I can't imagine. I can't imagine the fear and the terror that is going through Mary and Joseph's mind not only as they flee, but as they sit in safety in Egypt. Not only the fear and the terror, but also the knowing that they got out. The the shame and the guilt that sits and weighs on their hearts and on their minds and on their souls. Knowing that they were saved, but others didn't make it. That others, other children were massacred, were slaughtered and were killed. As they were both Filled with this tension of joy, of excitement, of relief, and yet of guilt and of shame and sorrow. Just a few years pass and Mary and Joseph are able to return home because Herod has died. Herod has died. He made it possible for all of the children, two years and under, to be slaughtered. All of the boys, two years and under, to be slaughtered. And now that he is gone, Mary and Joseph are visited once again through a dream. Now it is safe to return home. And they do. They make it back, and Jesus grows, and he, he gets older, and He does all sorts of many beautiful and amazing miraculous things, only to then be killed later by the same empire, the same government that sought to kill him earlier in his life. It's a fascinating 360 sort of turn of events for Jesus and for Mary, who sat at the foot of the cross while he was executed. Who can't possibly have forgotten that that was going to be true of her son when he was two, if they hadn't fled, And now at 33, is true again. Jesus as a refugee, when he was in Egypt, God never left. God never left his side. God never disappeared. But that whole time, in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of fear, in the midst of pain, in the midst of struggle, even in joy and excitement and relief, God never left. He was still speaking to Mary and Joseph and was the one that reminded them that it was okay to return upon the death of Herod. God never left. You see, Advent Advent is a season of anticipation, but it's also a season of tension. It's a season of recognition. It's a season that we know that we live in the not yet the not yet of reality, the not yet of history. What is your not yet? What is your not yet? Where is your tension? Where does hope need to break in in your life? Perhaps it's loneliness as we sit in the midst of couch season. It's dark now and couch season is upon us where you just sit and watch Netflix or Hulu over and over and over on repeat because it's dark at four o'clock and it's not even December 22nd yet, right? The 22nd or the 21st. One of those two days is the darkest day of the year and we've still got 20 days to get there as it gets darker and darker and darker. Perhaps loneliness is your not yet. Where do you need hope to break in? Perhaps it's family relationships. Perhaps that's one of the reasons for not traveling home this Christmas is because things have not been going the way that you had hoped they would. It's a way to step aside or step away from family for just a modicum of peace. Perhaps it's family relationships that you're looking for hope to break in. Maybe it's financial strain We live in one of the most expensive cities in the country. And with that comes a lot of challenges, a lot of fear, and a lot of trepidation for what will happen to us financially as people. And perhaps there's a sense of anxiety that has risen up in you as you find this tension and you just don't know what to do and your mind is running at a mile a minute because you have no idea how you're going to make it to the end of the month, let alone three months from now. Where does hope need to break in? What is your not yet? Where is your tension? Maybe it's work. Maybe things just have not been going the way that you hoped they would at work. And there's your boss is pressing down on you and pushing really, really hard. And you're just looking for some peace. Where do you need hope to break in? Because here's the thing, hope has not left. God has not left. He is here, he is present in the midst of this tension, in the midst of this trouble, in the midst of this strife. God has not left. Dr. King, in one of his sermons talking about hope, he said this, life is hard, at times as hard as crucible steel. It has its bleak and difficult moments. And if one will hold on, he will discover that God walks with him. And that God is able to lift you from the fatigue of despair to the buoyancy of hope and transform dark and desolate valleys into sunlit paths of inner peace. I hear Mary in that. I hear Mary and Joseph and Jesus in that as they sit in Egypt, that life is hard and has bleak and difficult moments. But if you will persevere, if you will push on, if you will just hold on with whatever you have, you will see that God is there in that space, that God has not let you go, that God is present, and he will always be present, no matter what. Joseph understood this. Mary understood this. Jesus understands this and walks with us to meet us there in that space. As Tracy read earlier, this is the light of the world, the light that has shone in the darkness to light a way of hope forward through the tension. Not away from the tension, but through the tension that we may have life that we may experience the not yet, that we may understand this and invite him into this space. Victoria Safford wrote this poem called The Gates of Hope. It's in our, in our online bulletin at unitedchurch.live, something that perhaps maybe throughout the course of the week is something that you sit in and wrestle with and even meditate upon, but she says our mission is to plant ourselves at the gates of hope, love that. Our mission is to plant ourselves, to root ourselves deep at the gates of hope, not the prudent gates of optimism, which are somewhat narrower, not the stalwart boring gates of common sense, nor the strident gates of self-righteousness, which creak on shrill and angry hinges. People cannot hear us there. They cannot pass through nor the cheerful, flimsy garden gate of everything is going to be all right, but a different, sometimes lonely place, the place of truth-telling about your own soul first of all and its condition, the place of resistance and defiance, the piece of ground from which you see the world both as it is and as it could be, already and not yet, as it will be the place from which you glimpse not only struggle, but the joy of the struggle. And we stand there beckoning and calling, telling people what we are seeing, asking people what they see. Our mission is to plant ourselves at the gates of hope in the midst of this tension, in the midst of this expectation, this drawn-out, pulled tension of expectation in the already but not yet, and to recognize that in that pulling, that in that tension, in that difficult strain, in the midst, right there, is Jesus waiting beside us, together, not alone, And then at the same time, it's not just you and Jesus there, but there are other people in this community that we can invite into that space, into that pain, into that suffering of waiting, into that tension to know that together, together we are on the same road of the already, but not yet. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at noon at 1316 3rd Avenue West in Queen Anne. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.